Break the Ice podcast is presented by Superfood. Superfood Performance Nutrition has made a name for itself by feeding athletic organizations like the Washington Capitals both on and off the ice. If you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out mysuperfd.com for more information. Everyone, Mike Vogel here for WashingtonCaps.com with another edition of Break the Ice. And uh, we're coming to you from Alumni Weekend here in Arlington and joined by Caps forward Kelly Miller, longtime Caps forward Kelly Miller. And um, Kelly, I mean, you you were here last year. Yep. You've been back for a few of these events. What's it like to wander back into the area and, and see guys that you played with and uh, – you know, just watch a Caps game, all this kind of stuff. It seems like some of you guys, it, it seems like this this alumni thing has blossomed a little bit in, in the last few years, but also it's good to see some some repeat guys coming back like yourself and some new faces that sure. seems like you guys are bringing in as, as time goes on here too. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun for us guys to come back, and, and obviously um, we've got tremendous memories of our time here with the Capitals great place to uh to you know grow uh you know basically our families were a lot of them grew up here and uh you know to come back to this area just brings back some of those memories and to see the, the guys and relive some of the the old stories and the and uh, the, the old feelings of you know because you just you're you bond and you're, you're such a tight connection and, and then you kind of go off and everybody does you know lives their lives and to just to take a moment to come back and and uh you know remember what it was like and and uh feel that bond again is it i think is pretty special and you had a really fascinating career i think so let's uh, spend spend a few minutes talking about it and obviously i mean you and i from the same same hometown and yeah. um your your dad i i think uh co-owned or ran a rink there so you you and your brothers were absolute rink rats and your cousins as well I mean you guys are kind of the American version of the the Sutter family to me back in the 80s where you and your two brothers and your two cousins all ascended to the NHL and essentially ran right through you know Michigan State on the way too so it's a really cool thing for me to see personally for sure Um, but so what was that like just being such a rink rat from such a young age and right. and i'm guessing like when you're growing up and i mean at what point were you kind of driven to to make the nhl because in those days man it was like a 98 percent canadian league I, I don't know how much of a dream it could have actually been in those days so my dream actually on uh, the way i got hooked on hockey was my dad used to take us to the michigan state hockey games and he was he was a ref. He he did. He helped work the work the score clock and things of that nature. And so, he could get us in the locker rooms after the game. And and there's nothing better as a little kid. Yeah. Getting in the locker room after a game, and you know you, they had the broken sticks. You're scrounging for those. They used to have these orange slices, and you'd be in there, you know, stealing some of those. They had a pop machine, I remember. And and so just being around that and that excitement. It was actually the old Dem Hall, which was this. Uh, a cool little old barn that to, that they played in at that time, and it just sparked the interest for me and the passion for me. And that's so that was my dream was to, and probably my brother's dream is to get to Michigan State and play there. And you know, fortunately, my dad did own uh, part owner of an ice rink, 
And we literally spent most of our days there. My mom was a figure skating coach. We would go, if we weren't on the ice, we were in the corner somewhere playing stickball. And and, uh, and then, you know, as I uh, got older, um, I mean, I used to, when I was 16 and I could drive myself, uh, the, the rink was only a mile away, but we'd go and uh, I'd get up before school and uh, go and just shoot 500 pucks and just, you know, that's, if you want to get to the NHL, there's really, I mean, you talk about the secret. The secret is just to be on the ice all the time and, and have good coaches. Fortunately, my mom, uh, she used to make me skate with the figure skaters, which I thought was just the stupidest idea, and, <laughs> but was actually the greatest idea yeah. because it taught me how to skate and, and gave me the right technique. And, you know, I just remember those days. I, as a matter of fact, the first time I ever went out with the figure skaters, after she had pleaded with me to do it for about a you know, couple months, finally agreed, and, and I just remember them lapping me, and huh. I thinking, I got to work on my skating. And uh, so, you know, things like that, uh, being around the rink all the time, that's how you, you know, if you want to be in the NHL, that's what you got to do. And you were the oldest of those five Miller uh, boys yeah. who ascended to the NHL, so you kind of blazed the trail. And then you get to Michigan State, obviously Ron Mason, a legendary coach, and those were good teams. and um, but, but I thought what was really cool is you, you're drafted in, uh, what was it, 80, 82. Yep, yep. And, and, and that was your second year eligible. Were you, were you expecting at all to, to maybe get drafted as an 18-year-old? That's the first part of the question. And the second part is, in 82, the draft was not anywhere near what it is now. I mean, it was just a, essentially a conference call in Montreal. How did you even find out that, that the Rangers had drafted you in the, in the yeah. ninth round that year? So the the f- the first year where I was drafted eligible, I didn't really have any, you know, because I, I really, you know, grew up in Lansing, uh, played junior hockey in Detroit, and, you know, I don't consider myself being, uh, I wasn't a superstar by any means by, at that point. And, and so for me, um, I just wanted to get to Michigan State. And so after my freshman year, though, I had a good freshman year, and we had a good team at yep. Michigan State. Ron Mason had a great program, did a, a fantastic job. And, and so, you know, that started giving me notice. And, and actually I met uh, – uh, and I used to then also go out to uh, a, a, a camp in Minnesota that Chuck Grillo, who Chuck Grillo was a scout at that time with the New York Rangers. And so he, I used – I went out there during the summer. He saw me there. He was like, man, this, this you know, kid's got something that, you know. And so he ended up, I think, uh, influenced the Rangers to draft me in, the, in you know, the next year. I, I think I was a ninth-round draft pick, so it's not like, you know, they, they you know, were using yeah. a top three pick or something on it. So, And it, it just worked out. I kept going to Chuck Grillo's camps and uh, kept, uh, you know, progressing. And, and actually, after my junior year at Michigan State, I um, went to training camp with the Rangers. You could do that at that mm. time. And uh, that was a great experience. Uh, Craig Patrick was the general manager. Um, had a good camp, but he said, you know, we sat, sat me down after the camp and said, you know, I, I think another year in college would be more beneficial to you. I mean, mm. um, and sure enough, so went back to college. Uh, had a great year. And uh, I was an All-American that year, was a top, you know, in, in the Hobie Baker finalist uh, category, top 10, and joined the Rangers right after that season and played the last five games plus three playoff games. So 
you know, never looked back after that. Yeah, you you for a ninth round pick, you went right into the NHL and didn't didn't play in the minors until you're in your your mid thirties. Yeah. Um. And, and honestly, Kelly, when you look at that that eighty two draft class, there are a dozen guys in the first four rounds of that draft that wound up playing over a thousand games in the league. That was a good draft class. And then right. you get down to the lower reaches. In the fifth round, you have Ray Ferraro go to the the Hartford Whalers. He sure. played a thousand games. Yeah. Seventh round. You had Doug Gilmore go to St. Louis, right. also a thousand games, and then yeah. you in the ninth round. So, yeah. twelve guys in the first four rounds, only three in the last what eight rounds, and, and yeah. so you get a lot to be proud of there yeah. in that. And then you you get to New York, and and you know that's an interesting situation too. You know, Big Apple. Madison Square Garden, mid '80s. Uh, Phil Esposito's the GM, I think, by that time. Sure. Um, no, actually, Craig Craig Patrick was still GM, but uh, Phil's the guy who traded you. He came yeah, in later. He came in the next year. Yeah. So okay. after yeah, that was Craig That's Patrick's right. last year, and Ted Sater was the coach, and uh, you know, and and so that whole experience in terms of so I I went from playing my you know final game at Michigan State. Um, I signed a contract, and in my first game was I'm carrying my bag into the spectrum. <laughs> I mean, so that that's my first game from going from college to a game in the oh, spectrum. Man. And I just remember walking into the locker room, and obviously at that time Philadelphia was still considered a very tough team. Yeah, they they had some very tough players. And, and I just remember walking in that locker room, and, and you could just – you could feel the tension in the the Ranger players, the veterans are there because you knew that this was they're going to go out and fight for their lives, and and so it was just it was you know here I am carrying my Michigan State bag in, and uh, you know so it was just surreal, and uh, actually played fairly well that game, and I just remember that the next day, so we bus back uh, to uh, you know Madison Square Garden. And I uh, got off, went to the hotel, and then so the next day, the practice arena is up in in Rye, and you know I just remember, okay, um, uh, here I am, you know, how am I going to get up to Rye? And they said, well, you know, Greshen, Ron Greshner at the time lives in the city, you just need a cab over to Greshner's, and then he'll take you up to uh, the Rye. And I just like, okay, so I I jump in the cab, go over to Greshner's, go up, he's got an apartment knock on the door, and, and uh, a, this girl answers the door. It was Carol Alt. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. W- where am I? What am I doing here? I mean, this is just, you know, again, surreal. And, you know, for a guy coming out of Lansing, Michigan, you're just like, wow, this is, uh, this is taking a whole different turn. But it was fun. And Brian McClellan, George McPhee were on that that team, that first full season that you spent in New York. And you guys, uh, Ted Sater's first year as a head coach in the league, too. And yeah. if I remember right, third, you guys had a nice little playoff run there, yeah. got got to the third round. What was what was that that first full season like for you there? And and, yeah. to, and to have how much value was there in that getting that playoff run early in your career like that? Well, that was, I mean, there is, you know, obviously – great crowds here but there's something about Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. and the electricity in that building during the playoffs is just uh, is to amazing day, yeah. it is just amazing and I still it gives me tingles just thinking about standing at the blue line when they're playing the national anthem and doing all that for that game and that that crowd and 
and uh, it was just uh it was a great experience uh you know we we overachieved achieved that year i thought um you know uh, george mcphee was on that team you know i remember george he he was he was in, integral in actually us getting by the flyers we had to play the flyers and get by them and i mean he was you know George is about this big yep. and he's fighting these guys that were just giants. And I'm just like, you know, so everything we just scrapped and we, we fought and we, and we figured out a way to get by, you know, some good teams. And actually one the Washington Capitals was one of those teams. Second round. And, uh, and so, you know, then we ran into Montreal Montreal was pretty darn good, but you know, so it was, it was very uh, cool experience. I, you know, at that time, being in New York uh, as a young kid, and that crowd and that scene was pretty, pretty amazing. And then, you know, obviously I got traded, and, and to me, coming here was just as amazing because it was it was more of a family-type organization. Da- David Poyle was running things at the time, did a great job, and just really, um, you know, Lou Strudler, Dave Poyle, I mean, those guys were just tremendous people and, and really created a, a, a real nice environment for uh, families. And, and so, you know, and I, you know, my wife and I started a family during our time here and that. So, you know, both worlds were kind of cool when they happened. And and you got traded on New Year's Day in that yeah. Bobby Carpenter trade, and, and I mean I marvel at that to this day because I think Bobby he he been sitting out for like four six weeks. I think it was just before Thanksgiving that you know he he was essentially done. They told him to go home, and they were trying to. Everybody in the league knew that David Poyle was trying to trade Bobby Carpenter, yeah. and he still got pretty good value back in, in you and, and Mike Ridley in that deal. I mean, that's one of the, to this day, still one of the best trades, I think, in, in franchise history. But New Year's Day, I mean, what was that like <laughs> for you? You're in the middle of your second full season, yeah. and yeah. it had to be a little bit of a shock. It was a shock because I thought both Mike and I were doing really well with the Rangers. And uh, so I, m- I remember we had just bought, my wife and I had just bought a uh, place up in Chappaqua, which is north of uh, – of uh, New York City, and, and uh, we'd been in there three months, and I actually spent New Year's Day. We didn't play that day, so I we got a new garage door opener, and I was trying to install it, and I spent about three hours on it. I finally got it installed, and uh, I got a call. Uh, my, my wife said, you got a call, so I go in. It's Phil Esposito, and Phil says, uh, you know, hey, Kelly, I got good news and bad news. He said, the good news is we got Bobby Carpenter. The bad news is that we had to trade you and Mike Ridley for him. And uh, so sure enough, That's some bedside manner. Right yeah. There. So the next day, um, you know, Mike and I are on a flight to Washington and, and the rest is history. But um, it did turn out really well for both of us. Like I said, we came to an organization that, um, you know, was really do- doing well. I mean, David, we were in the seemed like to be in the playoff hunt every year. And and, uh, you know, it just was a lot of fun. We had a great, great group of guys here. And, you know, I. I still enjoy seeing Rod Langway when we come back to these things. And, you know, you think about the defensemen that we had with the Scott Stevens and the Larry Murphys and guys like that. Yeah. Um, you know, just – and Ben Gustafson, I mean, what a player he was. And so, you know, Mike Gartner. I mean, it was just a lot of cool memories. And that's – so when for me, when coming back, you know, some a lot of those memories, when I see Gartner's picture up on the wall there, Dale Hunter, who, you know, was basically here the same time I was – I mean, it's just, it's cool to, to think back in those days. 
I mean, you, you guys had a, a pretty stable core, you know, n- not unlike uh, what, what's gone on here over the last 15 years. There was a pretty stable core of you guys that stayed yeah. together for a while, and they tried to, you know, build in around you guys and, and just couldn't seem to get over the hump a lot of times. Just a lot of just really bad luck, it seemed like, in the in the playoffs. And, I, I mean, specifically, I, I can think of two, two games that it had to have – in the moment, I'm sure it was brutally disappointing. The Easter Eve game against the Islanders and the the four OT game here against um, Pittsburgh in '96, I guess it was. Um, but I, I mean, it's got to give you some sense of pride too that to have played in in games that were marathons like that. At least now, looking back at it, I'm sure there's still yeah. some lingering disappointment too. But I mean, what is that like to to have to go out? And, and with the stakes being that high, to have to play essentially seven periods of hockey. It's, uh, it, you know, it is an amazing to look back at it. And I just remember during those games, I mean, obviously you're just, you're just thinking about the next shift, the next shift, the next shift. And, you know, you're trying to get as much water into you because the water is just flowing out of you like crazy. And, you know, um, and just it's very difficult. And, and, and what made it more difficult in those games is that the referees just let the game go. So, you, I mean, it, it, it was more like tackle football than it was, you know, uh, than hockey. I mean, just to get to the, the net, I mean, you, you know, I, you're going to get tackled, you're going to get jumped on. I, I, there's, I just remember those games were like rugby matches. I mean, it was just an unbelievable. And so it, it really was a shame that anybody had to lose after seven periods. And, uh, but Unfortunately, we ended up on the wrong side, you know, a couple times there. And, um, you know, but fortunately, uh, we had Ole Kolzig come along and, and uh, he really carried us in 1998. And um, that was fun getting to the Stanley Cup finals. And, you know, I, I'm glad I was able to, although we didn't win that, I was glad that, you know, I could experience yeah. that and get to that point. And so, you know, when it, when they won it, when they won it in 2018, I mean, I, I was jumping up and down in my living room because, you know, I just remember that was always our goal is to get to that Stanley Cup and win the Stanley Cup. And for the Caps organization to finally do it, it just for me as as an alumni was like a pretty special moment. So, And and you alluded to the 98 run. And, and by that time, you and Dale were still here, Craig Berube, Callie Johansson. It had to mean, I mean, more. And, and only two. All of you guys dated back to the '80s in in the organization, so it had to mean more to you guys. But also, it was kind of cool that that was the first season of moving from Landover to to downtown, and it was a, a kind of the beginning of a of a little bit of a new era in, in Caps hockey. What was it like to to be in the organization at that point where you're making that mid season shift right. to a to a downtown arena, and then you guys wind up going on this really fun and kind of improbable run at times where, I mean, you guys, I think were the fifth seed and then you wind up with home ice essentially up to the cup final. Yeah, it it was really cool. I mean, you know, Landover was a a special arena. I mean, we really enjoyed playing out there, but the Landover's arena was the middle of nowhere. And so to come from middle of nowhere to all of a sudden we're driving downtown and, uh, and coming into this area, um, or, you know, into the rink in downtown. And I just remember it was such a beautiful rink. And, you know, obviously uh, the locker rooms and everything else were just that much more special than in than we had in Landover because Landover was obviously a much older rink. But just coming down here, um, 
and, and being in the middle of the city. But when I, it's funny because last night we went, you know, we go to the game and, and you walk out afterwards and just all the restaurants and everything. Well, there was nothing here when, when, when yeah. Mr. Poland, who, uh, you know, orchestrated all that brought the, the, you know, the, the building downtown here, there was nothing. No. I mean, they're really, and it, to see it now, you know, with all the, just everything going on and it's such a vibrant area, it is really kind of special. And, and for him to have that foresight, uh, that, you know, to do that and to what it would bring to this area is just, I think, tremendous. It's incredible the way that the area has blossomed in the in the 25 years since the rink is opened. And every time I'm in Detroit now, I think about that when I go to Little Caesars, and I can't wait for that yeah. that area to experience the same thing because I think Little Caesars is is the gem of the league yeah. for me. That's yeah. that's my maybe my favorite building to yeah. go to. I want to talk about like some other aspects of your career. I think for me, when you were playing. You were you were a thinking man's hockey player. You played a very cerebral game. Um, you you read and reacted impeccably. I thought um, you you had a nose for the net when when you you were good at forechecking, backchecking, all the kind of things that that guys saw as as being the less sexy um, parts of the game. You're you know selkie finalist. Mm-hmm. At one point, you signed a. Uh, Offer sheet with San Jose Sharks, and it was pretty early in their their existence. And and what I remember is that there was something kind of squirrely about it to me at the time. And and maybe I'm missing something here, but you sign the offer sheet, and and then the, it's up to the Caps to match it, which they did. But there were I think the original offer sheet had a no trade clause, and somehow the Caps got the league to pull that out. Yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of a blur now. But, I mean, obviously there was no free agency. Um, I mean, yeah, my contract ended. But in order for somebody to um, pick me up, uh, they would have to basically, Washington had the right to match. And so, you know, there was a baseball player, and, and this all goes back to my agents at the time, which were the Rich Brothers and, and – uh, they came up with a, a strategy to, you know, structure a contract where if Washington did match, that they would have to, you know, match all these different things. It would kind of like trigger some stuff. And and, so, and, and that's, that unfortunately, all, well, fortunately, I mean, things work out. I mean, yeah. so at the time, uh, Mr. Bettman took those things and, and said, no, those those, you can't have those, and so it allowed wa- Washington the match. But in hindsight, um, you know, it it was good. I came back to this organization, you know, I stayed in the, with this organization, organization, which I, you know, love, and, and uh, you know, we had another, you know, great, I don't know, what, so four, five, six years I, I played yeah. here. and, and uh, Made the playoffs uh, every made year. Made playoffs and, and went to the Stanley Cup yeah. finals, and so, you know, Everything happens for a reason. I, you know, always that's kind of my mantra. And, and uh, you know, for at the time when you're going through it, you're like, you know, what what's going to happen? What? But everything happens for a reason, and and uh, I'm glad that you know it worked out the way it did. Also, you played over 300 consecutive games there in the early 90s, which you know that that was not a a, a shrinking violet type of a league in those days to what do you attribute the ability to to stay that healthy over that 
that stretch of time in that that era of the NHL. Yeah. Well, you got to learn uh, when to get out of the way. Uh, is always is always helpful, and you know, I think being a you know, it's important. You know, staying healthy is a combination of, you know, obviously your uh, workouts and what you do in the off season and how you treat your body and all those kinds of things, but also an awareness on the ice of when, you know, when it's not a good situation to have your head down or, or, you know, and so just, you know, I I think I had a pretty good combination of that. um, And uh, fortunately, I was pretty injury free and there were some times when I got hit pretty hard, but, you know, fortunately I'm kind of built like a, a spark plug or a, or a, a fire hydrant in yep. terms of, and so that allowed me to, you know, absorb some of those hits and, and, uh, um, and, you know, so that's, I think that it's just amazing. You know, I, you say over a thousand games and I, I, you know, I think about that and the, that, that's a lot of games <laughs> and to be able to do that year after year is uh is pretty special and so i I'm, I'm glad i was able to do that and when you when you left and when you retired you were the caps all-time leader in games played and in right. in the playoffs uh as well i think you were tied with uh with dale in that one so so uh, you know a really good run here in washington yeah. also that lockout of 94 95 i seem to remember you being involved in the in the PA then and, and being part of that group that was able to break that and get guys back out onto the ice. And that was not long after the whole offer sheet thing was, what was that like being involved in the, in the players union and, and in those negotiations in those days? Cause the, for me, the history of the players association, there's, there's obviously a lot of darkness there with, um, you know, what happened to Ted Lindsay back, way back when, when he was trying to get it off the ground. And then it got even worse when, when Alan Eagleson was essentially stealing from, from all of you guys. Uh, and, and it's come a long way since, but I feel like those, that time in the early 90s was, was where you guys were kind of planting your feet and planting flags, and, and I think it kind of took off from there. Yeah, I think in 89 uh, when – know there was the switch between Alan Eagleson and Rod, uh, Bob Goodnow I think it was an important time for players I think you know certainly me looking back uh, the, the the salaries took a big jump yep. um, and uh, after he got involved and, and he you know and it was fortunately uh, you know pensions got better every a lot of things got better at that point and so that that was a very difficult period and at the same time a uh, very important period and you know you mentioned 94 with the lockout i mean there's nothing more difficult than a lockout um you know when you're trying to you know i was uh, on the executive committee and when you're trying to of the players association when you're trying to keep 700 players together when you're battling against an ownership group that is keeping 30 some individuals together um that's a hard thing and there was many very difficult conversations as uh you know a member of the players association to to members that had very good questions and concerns and guys in their last year of their contract and you know that are near the end of their you know careers and um young guys who maybe didn't have much money built up and you know how they how are they going to survive and so uh very difficult conversations i i actually um 
resign my position after that negotiation because going through that um, was very taxing and very difficult and the pressure is enormous and um, you know you do your best but uh, I I if I I'm glad that I didn't have to go through that after that point I mean because I you know going through it once was enough yeah I mean your your on ice job is is taxing yeah. And arduous enough without without getting into all that. That's uh, that's the business of hockey, though. I mean, yeah, that's you know, and you're right because as a hockey player, you just want to play hockey. You just want, yeah. I mean, that's what you do. You come to the rink, your routine. You you want to just play hockey. You don't want to think about, you know, salaries and things of that nature. But at the same time, when you're looking at a you know an average NHL career is what five years. I don't know what it is now, but at that time it was the average NHL yeah. career was like five years. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot, uh, you better make uh, make hay because, um, you know, or have a, uh, you know, what what am I going to do after hockey yeah. uh, type plan? And, and you know, for a lot of guys, that's a very difficult thing. That transition from something that you've loved and done day after day after day, and, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, it stops, and it stops quick. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not like it lingers on, and, and, and so it usually stops pretty quick. And then you, you're not. It's tough. It's a very difficult thing to prepare for. And and you're in your own case. You wind up. I think your your body kind of broke down a little bit there at the end. And I know you got uh, a season in, in in Grand Rapids, which I think is kind of cool just to go back and and play in your home state. I'm sure you would have preferred to be playing in the NHL so at that point. There's a story. To that. So actually, I so after I retired from uh, uh, the Caps. Um, I was done. I was like, and, and so Guy Sharon was the coach in Grand Rapids and, and, uh, and my brother Kevin was playing in Grand Rapids. And so I wanted to get in, into coaching after I was done playing. Yeah. And so I went down, I had a meeting with Guy Sharon. I said, you know, Gia, you know, I'd like to get into coaching. Um, can you have room as an, uh, another assistant? I will, I will be an assistant coach and, and you don't have to pay me anything. I just want to, I just want to learn the business of being a coach. Yeah. And so sure, sure enough, he said, you know what? Yeah, uh, we got room for you. Um, you know, we'll, we're, you're going to be our eye in the sky. Uh, we'd like you to work with players that are injured and, and things of that nature. And I was like, this is great. I mean, you know, I, to sit in those coaches meetings and, and, you know, watch them plan their practices and do all that from a, you know, it's a different perspective from when you're playing, when you're a coach and you're worrying about 20-some guys. And, and, and so it, it was very valuable. But so, and I did that. So, you know, they play an 80-game season. So about 60 games in, we were Ottawa's uh, farm team, and um, Ottawa had a bunch of injuries. They had a bunch of guys go down, so they took uh, the best players out of Grand Rapids. Uh, we had some injuries, and they and I just remember sitting in the coach's room uh, one day, and they're like, man, uh, you know, we're, we're thin. And so they looked around, and they said, Kelly, you know, you think he still, you know, can play? And I was like, um. And, you know, that first year out, you're, you're still – I mean, let's face it. You you still think you can play. Yeah. You still want to play. You know, there's there's that little piece in you that like, yeah, you, you know. And so I I agreed to it. Um, and uh, so you know, and I think they were gonna they paid me like a thousand dollars a game, which and I was gonna donate it to charity. And so I'm think, thinking, I'll play some games. You know, uh, maybe you know, 
five games, maybe 10 games. And I ended up playing the last 20 some games, 26 games of this, of the, of the season. And, and uh, I remember the first series though, the first series sticks out in my head because the first series was a three and three, uh, which, which in the NHL, we don't play three and three. No. And so all of a sudden I'm playing three and three. And I think we're in, I don't know if I mean, we might've been in Kalamazoo or something like that. I can't remember exactly, but I just remember thinking this, I need to retire. This is, this is it. I mean, and so I kept thinking that every game that, that, okay, you know, the guys from Ottawa will come back and, you know, it didn't happen that way. I ended up playing the rest of the time, but it was good for me because it really literally, I knew after that little stint that I was done playing, focused on coaching and, and ended up, uh, Guy Schron got the head coaching job in, uh, with Anaheim Ducks. I went about halfway through the the next season. Um, I went out and joined him as an assistant, and then I joined Peter Laviolette the next yeah. two years with the yeah. Islanders, and that was just a tremendous experience. I mean, obviously Peter was here, uh, just a great coach, great person. Yeah. Uh, him, his, him and his wife and his family are just magnificent. And just to have that experience on Long Island and, and with the Islanders organization at that time was pretty cool. Agree on all counts uh, yeah. on Peter Laviolette yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, last thing before we let you go, it, it, it's wild to me that looking at those those late 90s and, and early 2000s Caps teams, how many guys stayed in the game or went into coaching? Uh, what was it that was in the water in Piney Orchard in those days? Because honestly – Kelly, when you look at it, it's like half, more than half the roster. Like, yeah. I don't think if you would have told me that, then like, sure, there's there's a bunch of guys who who were pretty pretty smart, and I could say, yeah, that guy he'd make a good coach. But right. man, that it's crazy to me. Like, I mean, guys like Yogi Svetkovsky. Um, I mean, it's just wild. Like, you could go right down the list right. to the fringe guys on the on those teams, and it seemed like they all, yeah. Went into coaching. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the reason is for that. I just, I, I mean, obviously Dale Hunter uh, was, you know, I played with him, all, I think, all 13 years here. Yeah. And uh, I used to have my locker room next, locker next to his. And, and, you know, he just was a great hockey mind. He always has been. And just we had tremendous conversations. And, uh, you know, and so I think you just, you know, you learn from each other. And, that you, you know, you mentioned that we had a whole group of guys. I mean, Bruby. That, yeah. that was our line was actually Hunter, yeah. Bruby, and and, and, and myself yeah. for the Stanley like, Cup yep. finals. And, and um, you know, it's just you're just talking. You're always, you know, engaging and, and thinking strategy. And those guys are both brilliant, you know, people. And, and uh, it, you know, it's, it was just fun to be around. And, you, you know, you, you had a whole crew of those type of folks that were just uh, good hockey minds. And, uh, you know, it's probably why we – you know, we're success, so successful all those years is because we had a lot of good, smart players who understood the game and what it took to, to be successful. Well, it's great to see you again. Great to spend some time sort of going down memory lane here. And, yeah, it is cool. Uh, a lot of fun, and look forward to seeing you here again next year for sure. That's great. Great talking with you, Mike, and always good to see you. Thanks to Kelly Miller for spending some time with us on today's edition of Break the Ice. Superfood Performance Nutrition fuels the Washington Capitals, players, and staff on and off the ice. Each bite is energy-packed, highly nutritious, and engineered to boost recovery time. 
When they're not feeding pro athletes, Superfood is bringing the same high-quality nutrition to offices nationwide through their flagship corporate meal program, Simply Lunch. So if you have a high-performance team that needs fueling, check out mysuperfd.com for more information.